Hi, everybody, and welcome to Destiny Church Online. Wherever you're joining us from around the world, we want to welcome you in Jesus' name. This is week number six in the series we've been doing, which is called Victory Over the Darkness. I'm sure you'll agree with us that these are pretty dark days out there. But do not fear. God is with us. Jesus is the light of the world. Let me say a few things about the kingdom of darkness, because for me, it's a pretty subtle thing. By definition, the kingdom of darkness is a kingdom where you can't see. <laughs> I know that sounds simple, but just imagine that for a moment. Imagine being in total darkness. You don't know who's who. You can't tell good from bad. You can't tell from, you know, danger from what's safe. You can't tell friend from foe. Darkness really is a dangerous place to be. And this series is called Victory Over the Darkness. Thank God we're not in that kingdom. Thank God that when we find Jesus Christ and invite him into our lives, we enter the kingdom of light. Jesus is the light of the world. And these two kingdoms, they couldn't be more different, totally and utterly different. Everything God does is in the light. We receive our anointing in the light. Jesus is the light of the world, as I say. So consider this. When Elijah, uh, when Elijah passed on his anointing to Elisha, that was in the light. Everybody could see it. He said to him, when you see me rise, you will receive that double portion. Something that's public and in the light. When Jesus, if you remember when he was baptized in the Jordan, that's not darkness. That's a public place. Not just public that a dove came down upon him. But if you remember, a voice, a booming voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. These two kingdoms couldn't be more different. Remain in the light in these dark days. You know, here at Destiny, just a few weeks ago, we appointed a whole group of new elders for a new beginning for this church. Just think about the way that was done. The announcement was made. We publicized it, right? Several times. And then we all came publicly and stood on Southside, and what a night that was. And everybody received their anointing, their appointments in the light. So it should be in the body of Christ. And so the kingdom of light is. Everything is clear. Be careful in these days. Scripture tells us that there will be dark days, and I believe we are in them. I was thinking this morning of something that happened to me in Romania one time. It was about seven or eight years ago. It was early in the morning. I was leaving Romania. I was coming back home. And I arrived at Otopen Airport. My friend dropped me off as normal. But on this morning, there was a girl just standing in the shadows, in the darkness. And she called me over. She beckoned me over. And I thought, this is a bit strange. So I walked over. And she pulled out a bottle from her bag and she said, could you take this through security for me, please? I've got too much fluid in my bag. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. I remember walking away from her and not looking back 
and going straight through security and thinking, what just happened there? But you know, often they smuggle drugs that way. <laughs> you gotta be very careful about people inviting you into dark conversations and dark corners. It's not a safe place to be. Be a child of the light, a child of the kingdom of God. Amen? I want to talk this morning about the day in which we live and what is the appropriate response to being alive here now, a Christian witness in 2023. How do we respond to the day in which we find ourselves? What is the appropriate response? Jesus talked about this question. How do we respond to something in the very famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan? And the, the underlying theme of that parable, if you like, is who responded correctly to the moment? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Well, of course, no. The person who responded correctly was the Good Samaritan. And I want to use that as a, a kind of a simile there. How should we respond? Being trusted and chosen to being end times believers. How do we live in these days? How do we be the light in these dark days? I used to fly an enormous amount years ago and I used to have pre-flight checks. So on little list on the wall at home, you know, have you got your passport? Have you got your toothbrush, et cetera, et cetera. That was very, very useful. But it changed because the restrictions changed, if you remember. They did bring in new rules on fluids and suddenly my toiletries bag changed because the times changed. So my checklist changed. And so it changed again then, if you remember when COVID came in. When COVID came in, now I've got to write masks, unfortunately, on my checklist. Now I've got to put sanitizer on my checklist. Times changed that list. And in terms of end times, I just wonder, are we up to speed with the days in which we live? We're going to be raptured out of this world pretty soon. That's what it looks like to me. And before that flight, am I ready, right? And I want us to consider that this morning. For many years, I drove from London to Glasgow and from Glasgow to London. When you leave London, you may be surprised, but... You don't actually see signs for Scotland. All you see is a big general sign that says north. That's it. And you drive, in fact, you drive for hours. And the only thing you see is north, north, north. It goes on for a long time. And then eventually, you come to a sign that says Scotland. And that always makes me feel happy. Then later, the road divides, as many of you will know. And you've got to choose Glasgow or Edinburgh. And the, the nearer you get to your destination, the more frequent the signs become, right? Until you come down and the signs are almost, you know, minute by minute until you end up at the right street and the right house. It seems to me that the signs of the return of Christ are becoming more and more frequent. And that should be an alarm bell to us to get that checklist ready. How should we live as end times believers? Do you know who tells us, uh, who asked this question? It's the Apostle Peter in um, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. He says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? I love that scripture. Here's Peter asking a question. How should we live? In light of the fact we know this world will be completely and utterly changed. Christ is coming back. Everything will be laid bare. And Peter says, how then should we live? So if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, maybe you want to write down some of these points I want to give you this morning. Because this is my checklist for living as an end times believer. Living in a dark world, but walking in the light. Number one. Make sure you're saved. <laughs> now, don't be offended. I find some people get offended when I say that. But make sure that you are saved. Let me read to you from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, that is born into the Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church, right? Children born, not of natural descent, nor of a human decision. So that's like emotional uh, commitments, etc. Or of a husband will, but children born of God. I want to ask a question to everybody this morning. Whether you attend church for one year or 20 years, are you saved? Let me explain why I'm asking that. Years ago, I was visiting, a visiting preacher in a church. I was standing on the front row. I didn't know the members, but I did know the pastor. I was just standing beside the pastor. The worship was going on. We're all happy, you know. And I just glanced down the line, and there's a lady standing there, and she's clapping, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But I just feel a word from God in my spirit. She's not saved. Now, that shocked me. I had to get up and minister that day. So I kind of put that word aside and just got on with my work. And at the end of the meeting, everybody was going, but there's that woman standing waiting to talk to me. And I started to feel convicted. And she did come and talk to me. And she started talking about her brother or something. But I, I interrupted her and I said, excuse me, can I just ask you a question? If I asked you, are you saved? And if you say yes, then I want to know, how did you get saved? Can you answer those questions for me? She was offended. And, and I remember her answer. She said, do you know who I am? I said, no. Do you know who I am? I was one of the first people in this church, myself and my mother. We were one of the founding members. So I, I said, that's fantastic. Praise the Lord for that. Now back to my question. If I ask you, are you saved? And then I ask you, how did you get saved? What's your answer? But she, you know, she turned to me and said, have you met my mother? <laughs> I thought, no, I've never met your mother. I'm sure your mother's a lovely person. Do you know, I gave that woman multiple opportunities to give me one name, Jesus Christ. She didn't do it. And I was shocked, personally shocked. You know, this didn't only happen to me once, it happened to me twice. I was again, I was a visiting speaker in a church in Belfast. And the pastor there said, Mike, before you go, 
would you deal with one of our full-time evangelists? He's on staff here, but nobody ever gets saved. I think there's something wrong with him. Would you talk to him? But I was in a hurry. So I had to really corner this guy. So I sat him down and I said, look, the pastor says there's something wrong with you. And I've got to go. So please, normally people know what's wrong. So I think you know what's wrong. What's wrong, sir? He said, I'm not saved. That was the last thing I expected to hear. He's a full-time evangelist in a church. And he said, I'm not saved. I was shocked. And I found him bursting to tell somebody his story. And he told me his story. He said, my parents went to church, one John, those born not through, you know, natural descent. My parents went to church. They had an altar call, so I went forward because everybody went forward. Then they said, who wants to go in the mission field? I want to go in the mission field. I don't want to stay here. So I, I went forward. And then they trained me, and I've ended up here. But all the time, it's been hard for me because I've known I'm not like everybody else. So when I ask you the question, are you saved, please don't dismiss it. And please don't dismiss it either for those around you. Scripture takes this very seriously, of course, and we should too. Not just, this is my checklist as an end times believer. Am I saved in accordance with the criteria that Jesus gives me? That Jesus gives me. Nicodemus asked Jesus this question, remember? How can we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus said, no one will enter the kingdom of God unless he is baptized in water and has received the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Holy Spirit. Friends, the way we become Christians, the way we enter the kingdom, is by repenting of our sin. But repentance alone doesn't save. Many people do turn from sin, but they're not Christians. We repent of our sin, but then we believe. The Bible says repent and believe. Have you repented and believed? Now you see it's a little bit more complex than perhaps you thought. And then when Nicodemus asked Jesus, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is baptized and has received the Spirit. In fact, Jesus emphasizes that second point. It's such an important point that we receive and walk in the Spirit. He emphasizes it in the parable of the ten virgins. In Matthew chapter 25, he begins it by saying this, at that time, what time? End times. At that time, the kingdom, the same thing Nicodemus was asking. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took... Uh, took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the second coming of Christ. And you know the end of the story. The statistics that Jesus gives us, listen carefully to this. The statistics that Jesus gives us for the end times church at that time, 50%, five and five. 50% of the church, they're the figures that he chose to use, were not walking in the Spirit. That's shocking. If you understand it, truly, 
I think the parable of the ten virgins is one of the biggest wake-up calls in the Bible. Are you saved? I'm not asking you to you go to church. I'm not asking you how long you've gone to church. I'm asking you if you're saved in accordance with the criteria of Scripture. If not, repent of your sin. Put your faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you. Be baptized in water. Obey that command and receive and continue to walk in the spirit. My end times checklist, my pre-flight checklist begins unapologetically with this question in the mirror to myself and right now to you. Are you saved in accordance with scriptural criteria? The second thing I check myself on is what Paul said in Philippians. Paul was talking and predicting the end of his own life. And I love what he says. He says, I'll paraphrase Paul in Philippians. After everything is said and done, this one thing remains, that I want to be found in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Fellowship means same boat, same ship. In other words, Sharing with the passions that Jesus has. Sharing with Jesus' mission to to reach all of mankind. So number one, absolutely, I need to secure my salvation. But number two, I like Paul, I want to be found in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three on my checklist is tell my family. Tell your family and tell your friends. And I would add to that, tell them even if you've told them before. Maybe they're waiting for you to come back. Maybe they rejected you the last time. And now they're waiting for you. (coughs) Excuse me. Five weeks ago in Gorgie, in Destiny Church in Gorgie, myself and my wife sat with a couple there from Turkey. And we explained the gospel to them. It was a beautiful moment of salvation. As we saw them respond, we saw them just light up. It was wonderful. What we didn't know at the time, we actually talked about end times. We talked about the signs in the world, the earthquakes, the famines, the plagues. It was a fascinating discussion. But what we didn't know at the time is that that lady from Turkey was actually going back to Turkey. So five, six weeks ago, she returned to Turkey. My wife talks with her nearly every day. And she was in Turkey when the earthquake struck just last week. In fact, she sent us several messages saying that she took her daughter outside and to visit a friend when the earthquake, just before it struck. And her apartment block collapsed. And she thinks her neighbors have been killed. Some of her nieces and nephews have been killed. I thank God that we had the moment to share the gospel in these last days with someone and to bring them over the line properly and fully into salvation. Tell your friends again about Jesus. Tell your family, even if they rejected you the last time, go back again in Jesus' name. When I go to Glasgow, I frequent a coffee shop on Great Western Road. And I was sharing this testimony because it really convicts me. Um, I used to go in there every Friday because we had a prayer meeting in the city. And I would go in and the same girl would be there and she would bring me my black Americano. She got to know my order. She would bring it over to the seat. But I was always focused on my ministry, on the meetings that were happening that evening. So I never really spoke to her. But then one day I saw her on television, on Dragon's Den TV program. And she got an investment, by the way. 
And I saw her there. And so the next time I was in the coffee shop, I just turned to her and she brought my coffee as normal. And I turned to her and I said, hey, I saw you on TV. But I'll never forget the moment because she put the coffee down and she dismissed the TV. And she focused on me. She said, I've been watching you. I've been wanting to talk to you. And I, I was shocked at that. She had been waiting to talk to me, and I had been not recognizing her, partly ignoring her. She said to me, I, I see that you're happy. I can see that you're genuinely happy. And she just wanted to know who I was. But my point in that situation, she was waiting on me. And that should not happen. She was waiting on me to start the conversation, and I didn't do it. Well, I did, but I didn't do it soon enough. Who's waiting on you? Who in your family is waiting on you? I repeat, even if they rejected you the last time, perhaps they're just waiting. Maybe they've said in their minds, next time I see them, next time my brother calls me, next time my sister calls me, I want to ask Jesus to be my savior too. Make that call. So make sure you're saved. Remain in the spirit. Receive the spirit and remain in the spirit. Tell your family, tell your friends about Jesus again. This is my checklist in these dark days to ensure that we are emitting the light and walking in the light. Fourthly, I would say simply pray. And again, that's not as simple as it sounds. Scripture says pray in the spirit at all times. But it also says this, all the more as the day approaches. All the more we should be praying as we know the last days are encroaching around us. Fifthly, I would say, don't be idle. One of my favorite parables, parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew's gospel, chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers to go and work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. A denarius is a small stone uh, that had the emperor's head engraved upon it. It was the currency of the day. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others still standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Listen to this. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. He went out again about noon. I want you to see something here. This is a picture of God coming into the world to bring people into the harvest field, to bring laborers to go and bring in the end times harvest. And this talks to me, you know, that he went out early in the morning. That's the patriarchs. He went out at nine in the morning. That's the judges. He went out midday. That's the prophets. He went out at the sixth hour. That's the apostles. And then he goes out at the 11th hour. Look at this. And what does it say? He goes out at the 11th hour and he finds people standing doing nothing. Now, they may have been busy, just like we're busy. <laughs> when it says doing nothing, for me it means doing nothing in terms of the kingdom of God. And we live in busy days and you may well be very busy, but we need to be about our father's business. And one of my pre-flight checklist for these end times. Don't be idle.
Don't be idle in terms of the things of God. And look at what they said. Jesus, uh, in the story, the landowner says, why are you standing here doing nothing? It's an interesting reply. They say, because nobody hired us. They were expecting to be paid. And you get that in churches. You get many Christians who don't do ministry. They don't do evangelism. Because in their mind, the evangelism is for those who are paid. Or ministry, or you know, healing services, or whatever, itinerant ministry, you name it. It's for people who are full-time staff. And he just blows that out of the water, right? He's calling the whosoevers to come and engage in the kingdom. We as a church believe in the priesthood of all believers, not just full-time staff. Sixthly, a warning here in scripture and very firmly on my personal end times checklist is to be aware of false teachers in the last days. In fact, the apostle Peter uses the words above all. Imagine that in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says this, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own desires. And in that context of those few chapters there, He's warning us about false teachers who will arrive and are, sorry, arise in the last days. You know the fivefold ministry, apostles, uh, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Interesting. Scripture does warn us about false apostles, but it doesn't emphasize it. It, falls, uh, it warns us about bad shepherds, but it doesn't emphasize it. Bad evangelists, perhaps. But what gets the emphasis? False teachers. False teachers. There's an extra highlight. There's an extra special warning that in the last days, be, aw uh, be aware that some will come amongst us seeking to teach. Interesting question. If the devil comes to your church, <laughs> what does he want to do? If the devil goes to a church, what does he want to do? I think he wants to teach. He wants to teach. He wants to deceive and to guide people in the wrong directions, into darkness, right? So we need, thank God for destiny, who very good uh, scriptural foundations within this church. But we need to guard our pulpits, guard our home groups, so that false teachers don't come in amongst us. Amen. Seventhly, I would say be a watcher. And this is something Jesus tells us again and again. He says, therefore, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch in the last days. And I've asked many people this question, and I often don't, I, I don't get the right answer. <laughs> keep watch for what? Watch what? Watch TV? <laughs> watch what? What should I watch for? And we need to know that list for me. When, when Jesus says, keep watch in the last days, he's talking about watching politics, economics, wars, earthquakes, ecology, plagues, astronomy, the European Union, the Middle East, the church, Israel. He's talking about becoming prophetically aware, maybe in a way that we have not yet been aware. And I would encourage all of you, even if you have never had an interest in politics, for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of making yourself aware, get an interest. Begin to at least pay some attention to these areas because we need to know what's happening so we can pray correctly. 
eighthly on my checklist, my pre-rapture checklist, my end times checklist, my walking in the light checklist, eighthly, comes from James. It says this, do not hoard wealth in the last days, James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire because you have hoarded wealth in the last days. I think I'm right in saying that is the only reference to wealth and end times in the whole Bible. Interesting. Very interesting. God in all generations has blessed his people and he's still blessing his people today. Scripture tells us that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing and you will be blessed to be a blessing. You can be prospered when you walk aright with God, but you're prospered for a purpose. So this area gets so confused. I want to really just prophesy to you today and warn you and bring this warning from James right home into our hearts. God is still a blesser, but the problem arises when we disconnect the prosperity from the purpose. He, bless, he prospers us for a purpose. He blesses us to be a blessing. And history teaches us loud and clear. As soon as people separate the prosperity from the purpose, that blessing very quickly becomes a curse. Absolutely. Or it gets, the blessing gets removed completely. So I would say to you, walk in blessing in the last days, but be a blessing. Walk in prosperity in the last days. Absolutely. Let God bless you. He knows the plans he has for you, but use that prosperity to be a blessing in the world in which we live. Ninthly, I would say watch your debt. Simply because of the stressful situation that we find ourselves in at these times. People, res people respond to stress differently. But many people... You know what they do when they get stressed? Spend, spend, spend. Let's go shopping. Retail therapy. Well, retail therapy is not the answer. You remember when the pandemic came? People are buying toilet rolls and pasta and rice in, in you know, bucketfuls. Spend, spend, spend. Well, I just, you know, I counsel you. Do not go down the road of getting yourself into debt to try and alleviate the stress that may be in the world in the last days. That is not a good plan. Watch your spending. Number 10, my end times checklist. How can I be ready? How can I walk in the light in these last days? Be ready. Be ready. Very simple. But if you look again right through Scripture, Old Testament and you, you'll see warnings there about the bride not being ready. Remember in the book of Song of Songs, where was the bride? She was asleep. She was slumbering. And the groom came, knocked on the door. And then she wakes up and he's gone. That was a warning of a bride who's not ready. Look at the parable we just looked at. The parable of the ten virgins. It's the same story. The bride is not, or half of the bride, 50%, they don't have oil in their lamps. So 
make it a personal commitment to be in a state of readiness. You know, when I fly, I like to be ready at least one day before. I put my case out. And that's just to go somewhere. That's just to go on a missions trip. How much more important is it that we should be ready because we do not know what tomorrow will bring? Be ready. And I'm coming to my conclusion, but let me emphasize something that Jesus emphasized. Do not be afraid. With all that I've said, do not be afraid. One of the most frequent statements in Scripture, we don't need to be afraid because we know the end of the book. Don't be afraid and do not worry. Words from the very mouth of Jesus multiple times. Do not be afraid, my little flock. Your good father, he's given us the, the scriptures there. We know the beginning, the middle, and the end of this story. So put your trust in God. My fi the final item on my pre-flight checklist, on my end times checklist that I would leave with, with you is simply this. Be evangelistic. And I'm back to that Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard again. I just can't get away from that. I think it's a great end time scripture. The landowner goes out multiple times to bring people into the kingdom. And it says here, in the last hour, he goes out and finds them doing nothing. And in the beginning, he says, I will pay you a denarius. As I mentioned, a denarius was a little stone. Simple, but it had the emperor's face engraved on it. And it was the currency of the day. I don't know what year it was. It's about 20 years ago. I was teaching in a Bible college called Carrigadian in Dublin, in Ireland. And I was upstairs. They have apartments. And I was staying there for a weekend doing a pastor's conference. And I was just preparing to preach on this parable in the closing session. Everybody was downstairs. And I was just in my room preparing to go down and close the conference. And I was going to preach on this. Carrigadian Bible College is right beside the beach. It's a pebble beach with lots of little stones, just like this denarius. And I remember looking in my room and thinking, it would be great tonight if I could go down with a little stone and just show it to the people as a denarius. There's got to be one here somewhere. And I looked in the apartment that they put me in. I could not find a stone in that apartment, even though there was a beach full of them right outside the window. So I said, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I'll just go in and quote it as an example. A few minutes go by, and there was a knock on my bedroom door. It's a pastor called Sean Cronin, who leads a church now just outside Dublin. And he's standing there with a little stone, a little white stone. <laughs> and he says, Mike, I, I, I'm really sorry for disturbing you. I know you're preparing for tonight, but I was walking on the beach out there. And I saw this little stone. And God spoke to me that you needed it. So here you are, Mike. I was, like I am now, speechless. I was absolutely speechless. Sean walked away embarrassed, thinking I would think he was crazy. I couldn't say anything. I just sat down and I looked at that denarius. Do you know, I've been preaching for years and you use examples every week. But I have never in my life had Jesus 
give me the example. And that's why this parable is important to me. Do you know what that said to me? I felt that almost the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. Take that stone and go down to those people and tell them I'm calling them to become laborers in the kingdom in the last days. Wow. And I want to speak to all of you out there, everybody, lost and saved, whoever you are. Look at that, Denarius. Look at that. Look at the goodness and the heart of God calling people into the kingdom. First of all, calling people to be saved. As we wrap up today, I want to speak to those of you, and maybe you've been convicted. Maybe through some of the things that I've shared today, you think, well, maybe your salvation is not where you thought it was. Repent of your sin. That's how we get saved. Repent from your sin. That means just turn away, change your mind towards God and his goodness. Put your faith in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ personally for you. Go and get baptized. It's brilliant. Go and get baptized. Receive the spirit. And I invite you to do that right now. Don't put it off another second. Do it right now. And to those of you who are saved, I want to remind you of that denarius. I had a Bible college full of pastors and leaders, yet still Jesus was calling them in to become laborers in the end times harvest. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of you perhaps who are praying what we call the sinner's prayer or the prayer of repentance for the very first time. I want to welcome you into the kingdom so why don't we just bow our heads and I want to pray for you first of all. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for my sin, to take away my sin completely and absolutely. Thank you that scripture is clear that when I put my faith and my trust in him, that I too can be saved. And Lord, I do that right here, right now, today in Jesus' name. For those of you who are Christians and maybe want to just accept that denarius, to take up the challenge of, of, of working in the end times harvest, being a laborer in the kingdom. Let me just pray with you also. Father, forgive us like the bride in Song of Songs if we have been a sleepy bride, a slumbering bride. And today we rise up in the light. We make a, a fresh commitment to walk in the light in the kingdom in these last days. Thank you for trusting us even to live at this hour. What an honor. God, as we receive this commission, would you equip us and plug us in to local churches and local leaders wherever we find ourselves around the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you, folks. Thank you so much for being with us today. I want you to do one last thing for us. If you prayed either of those prayers, wherever you are, just in the chat there, if you can drop us a line, just say hi, and one of the prayer team will contact you. We would like to send you a little follow-up booklet, which will help you take your next steps in the kingdom. Can't thank you enough for being with us this morning. Please join us next week, same place, same time. God bless you. Bye.